0: there's a world around you that you've trained yourself not to see. Call it paranormal, supernatural, cult, whatever. But inside all of us is an uncontrollable fear of the dark. Kids are told it's irrational, but it's not. Fear is what protects you from the things you don't believe in. I learned the truth a long time ago. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it can't kill you.
1: Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Alone in the Dark Retrospective Series.
2: My mommy says that there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark.
1: Your mother's wrong, kid. Being afraid of the dark is what keeps most of us alive. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. My kind of mission. Good luck. Hosted by Arnie. Carrying enough baggage
0: for the both of us, trust me. Justin. Well, yes, Intel we need.
1: I trust him and Stuart. After all these years, I'm immune to witchcraft crap. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. That information's classified. That means it's none of your fucking business. We've got this under control. Thank you. I don't need your help. Listener discretion is advised. I'm sure you had some idea how it might play out. Everyone has to die in the end.
3: Today we're discussing Alone in the Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I've never felt more alone, frankly. Starring Christian Slater, Tara Reid, Stephen Dorff, directed by Uwe Boll.
0: (laughs) 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 And he's not kidding. That's how we've been told to pronounce it. Uwe Boll.
2: Nailed it. It's
0: like the Swedish chef. (laughs)
3: <laughs> this is Arnie of now playing And my mom said there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark She doesn't
2: know about this movie <laughs> <laughs> It's Stuart It's the nightmares They've started again This is Justin Oovable.
3: Pronunciation aside Is he the worst commercial director to ever have theatrical release? I think it's arguable. It certainly has been a subject of much, because
0: we have the internet and we can exploit these kinds of things, I don't know that many people would know about him if he weren't such an object of ridicule, and if he didn't make so many goddamn movie adaptations of video
2: games. Well, add to that that he is contentious and wants to fight people over their opinions. Bring it on, Uva! <laughs> you can make shitty movies and kind of slide under the radar, but when you start asking people for it, you're going to get it. I agree. When he was in Germany
3: making his Uva Buhl movies, I imagined that nobody gave a shit. But when he came to America and started taking... I'm going to use this word loosely, beloved intellectual properties and turning them into video dreck, it put a spotlight on him. Because, I mean, he started with House of the Dead, which... Zombies were hot, we're going to be getting to that movie, watching it was one of the worst experiences of my life, and I knew right there that we had something special in Uwe Boll. But then, Alone in the Dark, and Blood Rain the same year, and then Postal, Far Cry, this video game retrospective is turning into an Uwe Boll retrospective series, and I ain't happy. Twelve.
0: Twelve of the films that we are covering have been touched by the bull.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tainted, if you will.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Two Alone in the Darks, two House of the Deads, three Blood Rains, three Dungeon Sieges... Postal
3: and Far Cry. Could I just take prison rape instead? I mean, it would be over quicker. Oh,
0: it's rough. It's part of the reason we debated. Can we cut this out of the retrospective? (laughs) We did. Can we just say (laughs) none of these exist? But yes, you mentioned the video games. And when we discussed this with other people who aren't on this retrospective, they were like, (laughs) no, you got to include them because those are some big games. So let's start somewhere positive, shall we? Because I did not know that Alone in the Dark was based on the game. The first time I ever heard of it, it was because I was at a movie theater and I said, ooh, is H.R. Giger making a movie? And walked over to a movie poster that was distinctively alien-esque and found out, no, it's this film called Alone in the Dark. But actually... It began in 1992 as a computer game, and I wasn't playing computer games in 92. By that point, I had drifted away from all of that. I was going to college, so I just had other things in mind. But if I did, I think I would have been really into this game.
3: Oh, you hipster son of a bitch. I was in college, and I played nothing but games. But (laughs) 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 I said, oh, I was 18, and I had outgrown the games.
0: I did not play video games when I was in college, ever. That was, like, the last thing I was doing. But
3: I had Alone in the Dark back then. It was one of those games. In fact, I had all three Alone in the Dark games. They'd come together on one CD-ROM, but I never bought it. It was one of those games... Do you remember when DVD players were new and you'd buy a DVD player, they were kind of expensive, but to put some salva on the sting, they'd send you five DVD movies when you did a mail-in rebate, and one of those five movies was always lost in space? <laughs>
0: I, I remember getting five CDs for a penny once. Is, is that comparable? You're, you're saying this is like free win.
3: Yeah, I mean, I ended up with three copies of Lost in Space, and I ended up with about a half dozen copies of Alone in the Dark, because every time I bought a sound card or a CD-ROM, and understand, I was building computers for me, I was building computers for my friends, they all seemed to come with Alone in the Dark. And to them, that was probably a selling feature. It was a big game. To me, it was actually a negative. If you're giving it away for free, how good could it be? And the name Alone in the Dark just made me think Kitty. You know, like, afraid of the dark. It was not a game that piqued my interest based on title or cover art, and that was all I knew about it, because it's an interesting series in that it had a big time in the heyday of the 90s when I was getting into computer games, 93, 94. It was something I always saw at Best Buy and EB Games on their shelf. But then it kind of took several years off when I would have been really paying attention, and came back in the early 21st century after a long pause, when Atari bought the company and got control of the property. Yes, we're watching an Atari movie.
2: Mm. Hey. (laughs) I've been blissfully unaware of this property. All together until this week. I'd never heard of the game. I'd never heard of these movies, and which is weird. You know? I mean, we've covered some stuff in this series already where it's like, yeah, I mean, I never played the game. I may have not seen the movie previously, but I at least had heard heard of them you know it's not like i was living under a rock but i think arnie you touch on something the name alone in the dark i think maybe if it even crossed my path i probably thought you know nickelodeon show or young reader book or something at that point
3: Mm-hmm. keep in mind this is around the time goosebumps was really big
2: yes
0: you're thinking of are you afraid of the dark it was a kid's horror anthology series okay that's
3: exactly what i'm thinking of yes <laughs>
0: Yeah, not quite the same thing, but easily mistook. And by that point, yeah, we were in our 20s. We weren't going to be watching no Nickelodeon horror show.
3: No, I was playing Phantasmagoria, where women's heads got splatted open on screen. I didn't want no kitty ghost story. But this is a video game retrospective. I did go to GOG, which goodoldgames.com, where you can buy old games really cheap without any... DRM, and I played and beat the first Alone in the Dark game. I got kind of into it. I was, I'll admit it, I was wrong. I loved games like King's Quest, Police Quest, that sort of thing back then. And what this is, is like an evolutionary step between the orangutan that is King's Quest and the homo sapien that is Resident Evil. This is one of those middle creatures.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, You had loaned me all those games, and sadly, they didn't really work for my computer, but I did watch walkthroughs. I played it for a little bit, but then I realized some of the functions weren't working. Like, I could never shoot anything or (laughs) pick up any objects, so I didn't get very far.
3: Literally a (laughs) walkthrough. The controls of the game are terrible. GOG gave me an instruction manual that I had to print out, and even then, I still had to hit some online wikis like... Wait, I can run? How do I run? It is just, you have to hold down the space bar to use something, but then also use the arrow keys to aim and then to fire. It is... The weirdest control scheme I have ever encountered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was horrible to play. And again, it wasn't working. I needed a patch or something. But the idea of it is great. It's exactly what I think of when you say a computer, like a PC game that I would have played in the 80s, was, yeah, from that Sierra mold of King's Quest, Police Quest, Space Quest. The idea that you're going to just go and explore and pick things up in inventory, and it's kind of a puzzle. You'll get some humor, and you'll get some sense of the world, but you're basically collecting objects and figuring out the right times to use them. And this one was even better because it's, like, based in H.P. Lovecraft horror. So I would have dug this game had I known about it when it came out in 92, 93.
3: Yeah, I definitely thought it was more up your alley than mine. You were always more into Lovecraft than I was. This is trying to be a Lovecraft story. I mean, they name-drop Cthulhu and Arkham, and it's even taking place in the 1920s. The thing I couldn't get past is the main character... I understand, again, I've mentioned this before, I'm with the Resident Evil series, evolution in technology is hard. The first game to do something is never going to be the impressive one. This was one of the very first games to use 3D and you could walk around in a space, but yet my character looked like an orange standing on a toothpick. It was like a giant head that was all polygons and angular, it barely looked human.
2: Yeah, I imagine being the same way as like, being excited back in the day when people were like, Dire Straits has a 3D animated video out. And then you, it's like, <laughs> we were all impressed with those blocks. But I'm guessing this is very similar. This looked far worse than the guy moving,
3: moving the refrigerator.
0: And still, I feel like with things like Minecraft today, there is a love for retro graphics. I still dug it. I mean, I would play this game if I could. I would have really been into its unsophisticated graphical layout because I just like the idea of walking around a haunted house. And the first game, that's basically what you did. You were alone. It wasn't always in the dark. If you could pick up the lantern that you weren't in the dark, I remained in the dark. <laughs> but yeah, you would just kind of go through and find out why this house was possessed. And there, Carnby is the main character. That That's going to be a carryover into this movie. And he would just keep finding new cases. With each new game, he would be investigating new supernatural
3: going on. Of course, one thing that pissed me off is, you could be one of two characters in the first game. The rest of the games, you were always Carnby, but in the first one, you could also be Emily Hartwood.
0: Well, actually, in the second game, you were investigating a kidnapped child, and in a certain point, you play
3: the game as the kidnapped child. Okay. But Carnby would become the star of the games. That's why I played as him instead of Hartwood. But His setup for the case is really dumb for this first game. He is hired to go retrieve a piano alone from an attic. (laughs) (laughs) And he's sent in to a haunted house to get a piano. And when it's over, guess what? The piano never left the house. So I'm waiting. I sat there and watched like the V end on the screen for 10 minutes waiting for him to show up to his client and be like, yeah, I didn't get that piano. But... It really is, and I did some research into this because I didn't realize it, this is the beginning of Resident Evil. Resident Evil, the first game, really looked at this and then upped the sci-fi horror factor and upped the graphics, but it's the same game. You have limited ammo, you're in a house, you're walking room to room, it even goes so far as the escape from the house is going to take you underground to evil tunnels. In Resident Evil, it's umbrella here, it's Cthulhu tunnels, but it's really the same thing. You pick up swords and guns and you fight creatures that pop in through windows. And this game even has what they call zombies. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's why 13 years after it was created, it
0: would be considered a viable movie property. I mean, when it came out... Super Mario Brothers was just hitting the screens. That would have been the time to develop this thing. But it sat around growing moldy in the dark. And I think it took the fact that Resident Evil could be popular on movie screens as well as on consoles. sold the idea that people should go looting the video store crates and see what else they can find that's like this.
3: Oh boy. The story on the commentary about this one though... Apparently, Atari, who bought Infogrames, and so they owned the license, were working to bring this back. You know, we had the trilogy that happened one per year just about in the early 90s. And then they put one out in 01, but they were looking at doing another one, which would come out eventually in 08. But they had been trying to get somebody to make a movie of this. They were going around, nobody was taking it. So they call Uwebol and (laughs) say... We love what you did with House of the Dead. Right there, full stop. Anybody who says, I love anything about House of the Dead. If if I'm on a date with somebody and we're like, oh, I'll have the steak. I'll have the lobster. So what's your favorite movie? House of the Dead. Check, please. (laughs) (laughs) But Atari loved House of the Dead so much. They went to Uva Bull and asked, will you please do this? Yeah, do what you did there to Alone in the Dark. Is it even legal to do that?
0: Yeah, well, to be further discussed in September, that is when we will get to that game. We're going through this retrospective in the order that the games came out. So we're basically in the year 1992, and House of the Dead wouldn't come out until
3: 96.
0: So, by my estimation, we'll be covering that closer to this
3: Halloween. It's the scariest thing I have to look forward to. So, yeah, UVA decided... To go ahead and do this adaptation. He was really the creative spearhead behind it. Though he doesn't have a writing credit. Shall we talk about his creative impulses? Because I think people need to know, if
0: they don't know, how this man has been able to get away with what he's been doing for so
3: long. I would like to just start by saying, on Wikipedia, (laughs) the first sentence about him is Uwe Boll is a German restaurateur. And former filmmaker. Mm. Ooh. And we should be referring to him as Dr. Bold. Yes. Because he has a PhD in yes. literature. Literature. People need to <laughs> understand this. This man is literate. <laughs> when
0: you listen to him on commentary tracks, does he bring up Shakespeare? Does he bring up the classics? No. Everything's about the relic and the day after. Trash B-movies is all
3: that he talks about. And how American women need to get over their problems with nudity.
0: (laughs) But yes, this man. All right, so here's the way it works. (laughs) Germany. We can really blame Germany because they wanted to help foster a local film scene. They wanted to help out the local economy. So here's the deal that they struck with German film producers. We're going to pay half your budget. Whatever you're putting up, we will match it euro to euro. Not only that, but we will waive all fees and all taxes associated with borrowing your half of that money from German banks. So the only time you're actually going to pay taxes is if your film turns a profit. Bing, 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 bing. Enter. (laughs) Viva. Bull. Rich man. Who is so tired of seeing his inheritance go unfairly to taxes, wouldn't it just be easier to make a flop (laughs) and stick the government with the bill? You'll pay half, and they'll pay half, and that's much less than what you normally would pay in taxes. And you get to be famous while you're at it, or at least infamous, which
3: I'm not sure there's much difference anymore. Not for him, but I'll admit if those were my two choices, I'd make shit movies too. But, of course, you don't want to pay half of the money.
0: This is an $11 million production. You don't want to have to come up with $5, 6000000 million. What do you do? Product placement. The reason why he does so many video game movies is because video game companies that are hard up to compete with the big boys want him and will pay him to take their properties so that they can use it as an ad for the latest installment of the game. Atari hit him up. They wanted to make their latest version of Alone in the Dark a hit. So what's better than having a commercial running in movie theaters to do that? The joke, of course, is that Alone in the Dark 5 wouldn't come out for three years after this film. So it didn't work. He actually beat them. They got caught up in developing the game and it stalled. And he came out to plug a game that didn't exist.
3: That is diabolical. That is like a James Bondian plot. To inflict pain upon the world while making money. And admittedly though, when listening to the commentary, this makes sense now because he's like, that is an alien veil computer. I was given it for doing this movie and it broke. So I used- sold it as a prop to this movie. <laughs> Yes, if you're confused in parts of this movie why like we
0: just have these random scenes of people walking in and out of buildings or just doing things that seem to not further the plot along, it's usually because they're holding products that were paid to be in the film. So again, this movie cost bull. He made tons of money at the expense of Germans and foolish companies that thought that this would help their products.
2: (sighs) You know, hearing this about him is starting to connect a few dots from something in my past. The company that I worked for is a software company, and in the mid-2000s, we were dabbling in putting games out, and the developers who made Postal were knocking on our door, begging us to be the publisher for their game Postal. hmm And, yeah, that marriage between them and Uwe Bowl. is making a lot of sense now, but I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get there.
0: Oh yeah, this film is littered with it. I mean, the soundtrack. I want to point out, the soundtrack came out as a double album, 152 minutes of music. The movie's only 96 (laughs) minutes long. How is this possible? Because they went to a fake record company that had all these people that pay to be on their label and said, you know, it's like the Rebecca Blacks of speed metal, you know, Friday. It's like, well, we'll get your gloom and doom people and we'll agree to put out their music as part of an Alone the Dark soundtrack to cash in on this. Every opportunity here is not a creative choice, but an attempt to exploit someone and take their last dime.
3: Yeah, when I got the DVD, this has never been released on Blu-ray. This was actually difficult to get. I had to order it used from Amazon, and then it didn't arrive in time, so Stuart had to race to the local used DVD store. Fingers crossed that they had it. Plenty of copies. (laughs) (laughs) But... It was not available from streaming or anything like that, unless I purchased it from Comcast for eight dollars. How much was the DVD? <laughs> Less than eight. <laughs> it was three dollars and thirty-three cents. So I'll never get back. So looking at the bonus features, it's like music video. Another music video. A third music video. I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to music, but this seriously was merely punishment. This is what I imagine the music that they play in the middle of the night at Guantanamo sounds like. (laughs) It's kind of metal, but it's mostly shouting at me. I think there was some precedent at the time. I feel
0: like half the songs are trying to be like that effinescence song that was Bring Me to Life, whatever that was. But I like that
2: song. Oh, you don't want to admit that. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) But
0: They're hoping that if you love that you'll love Uda Rubda and her rip-off version. Again, all All of these people are scam artists trying to prey upon things that are actually popular. Resident Evil, the movie, and the game are popular, so here are a bunch of exhibitionists and exploiters to try and fool you into thinking this is the same
3: thing. The movie got $20 million to be made. So, I think Uva put up 5 million because the original budget was 10 million. But then, apparently, once the script was turned in, maybe it was Concord, Film Verlai, or maybe it was Lionsgate. Somebody came and gave him 10 million more at the 11th hour, which went all into visual effects. Oh. The movie is considered a huge bomb because it, I believe, worldwide grossed 11 million. But according to Uva Boll, and now he's the maker, so he may be bullshitting, This actually made a giant profit in Germany, which explains why we're doing two weeks of this shit instead of one. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it bought him
0: a new DACA. I mean, but what's the upside for the people that invested, the German banks, the German film economy? I don't think everyone was rolling in the dough.
3: I remember when the movie came out, I had gotten over my man crush on Christian Slater, but yet I was still keeping an eye on how he was doing.
0: Yeah, he was doing weird projects. He played Winston Churchill. I'm like, this is when we say goodbye to, like, Brant Packers from the 80s, when (laughs) Val Kilmer is Mark Twain, and Christian Slater is Winston Churchill. It's just not working anymore. (laughs) Goodbye.
2: Now, Arnie, did you actually have to sit down and write a plot summary for this, or did you just take the 15 pages of text from the beginning of this movie?
0: Created because when they screened it without it, audiences couldn't figure out what the (laughs) hell was
3: going on. It is almost like the beginning of Spaceballs. You know how they have that (laughs) scroll that just keeps going and going? Only I tried to decide if they were knew they were being funny. I mean, Jesus Christ, I had to look up online so I could copy and paste this ginormous scroll which when i wrote my plot summary i didn't include a damn thing from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i would have been happy with 96 minutes of scroll as opposed to what we got but let's get into it i need to get this out of my life
3: christian slater plays edward carnby a paranormal investigator he had been with the government's paranormal team called bureau 713 but he was frustrated with the regulations and went out on his own his interest in the paranormal dates back to his youth he was raised at an orphanage and remembers nothing before he was 10 years old. This is because he was experimented on by the evil Professor Lionel Hudgens, played by Matthew Walker. Hudgens is obsessed with the Abkhani, a long-lost Native American culture. Hudgens realized the Abkani disappeared because they learned how to open a portal and allow invisible demon-like creatures into Earth. They call these aliens Zenos. In the 70s, Hudgens was working with Bureau 713 and under their watch tried to implant 20 orphans with xeno symbiotes, making them his own version of Manchurian candidates. <laughs> to do something?
0: What are you going to do with 20 orphans? I need to know. In a gold mine. This sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. I think they made musicals out of things like this. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually how Newsies was made.
3: (laughs) But Carnby was electrocuted, which we never see, but he is hanging out in a high voltage capacitor.
2: (laughs) Like a Faraday cage or something.
0: Yeah, we'll have to discuss whether he was one of the missing children or was he
3: found. I don't know. But the electrocution killed his symbiote and left him with no memory of the events. The movie starts 30 years later, and Hudgens is still up to his old tricks, having unearthed pieces needed to open the full portal of darkness. But Carnby is also researching the Abkhani for fun, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Mm -hmm. And he has the final piece Hudgens needs. Hudgens activates the other 19 orphans, who are now all adults like Carnby... And they try to kill the investigator and recover the piece. Carnby finds himself on the run along with Hudgens' assistant anthropologist, Aline Cedric, played by Tara (laughs) Reid.
2: You can tell she's a doctor, but she has glasses.
3: (laughs) you joke, but that actually was pointed out in the
0: commentary. I wanted her to seem smart, so I gave her glasses. I actually feel bad for Tara Reed in this movie. I feel bad for everyone in this film. I feel bad for Pixels. It's a hostage situation. <laughs>
3: Bureau 713 is now run by Commander Burke, played by Stephen Dorf. Do you feel bad for him? Because he sucks here. <laughs> he
0: really sucks. <laughs> I know, but I thought he sucked in Blade, and here it's just, oh, he's better than this.
3: I love Stephen Dorf in Blade, but here he's bad. And Uva Boll going, I wanted him to bring what he had in Blade. No, he he left the charisma back with Wesley. You would too at this price. But despite Burke's dislike for Carnby, the two team up to stop Hudgens. Hudgens does open the portal, and having injected himself with Xeno blood, he commands the creatures. They kill all the Bureau 713 agents, and Burke kills Hudgens, and then Burke sacrifices himself to set off an explosive that closes the portal and buries it in the cave collapse. So just to be clear... Burke is the hero of everything. (laughs) Carnby, star of the games, does nothing. Just want to put that out there. And Carnby and Cedric get topside and just kind of walk away as credits roll. That's the movie. I do want to put this out there. This has only a passing resemblance to the games. It was looking a lot at that 2001 game as far as setting, being modern times instead of being back in the 30s. Yeah, and Aileen is a character you can play in that game. Yeah, so they were looking at that, but there's also a lot of contradictions, so it's really just an adaptation of the 2001 game, but unlike, say, Mortal Kombat, or even Wing Commander, it's not taking any of the stories. It's just trying to take the feel, kind of like, again, Resident Evil or Tomb Raider did. Take the characters from a game and give them a real-life story.
2: I'm a blank slate when it comes to the game, so I don't have any baggage on me about what I'm looking for, any character names that I think have to be in here. I'm just ready to see a movie... And see where it goes. What drew me to this
0: was the association that the poster said was tied to Giger. I assumed you couldn't, without getting sued, it's an x-ray of a chest cavity in which something that looks very clearly like a xenomorph is curled around the spine, much like the alien would host inside your stomach. I'm thinking, wow, this is maybe another take on the alien that Giger is behind.
3: Giger is nowhere near this other than perhaps coming from the same country as Mm-hmm. But yes, we do start with this incredible scroll yeah. that just goes on and on about mine workers in the 60s. What doesn't it cover? I swear to God,
0: it's like 10,000 years ago. What? I can't even process that. We're humans a lot. Like, I, what's going on? <laughs>
3: When they say a lost Native American civilization, I'm, of course, thinking of American Indians. But in the commentary, they point out, no, they're supposed to be Aztec. Okay. Yeah. So it's a fictionalized version of an Aztec
0: society, which, you know, there's all that rumor of were they touched by UFOs? And do they have some kind of connection to the supernatural? Here, there's something about a door and something evil coming across, which I think are the Xenos. Not clearly defined, but what comes out of the other side of darkness are Giger Xenomorph ripoffs.
2: Wait, 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 wait. If they're not Native Americans and they are from somewhere else, how is their tunnel underneath L.A.? Well, apparently these...
3: Abcani Aztecs liked to surf.
0: <laughs> they went all over. They, parts of their artifacts are going to be found in Newfoundland, on uh, the tip of Chile. I mean, <laughs>
2: everywhere. Okay, gotcha.
3: They had the globe at their disposal. But yes, this opening scroll, here's what we're covering. The discovery of the civilization in the 60s. Yeah. Then their beliefs that somehow in 38 years, we figured out... That they believed in a world of light and a world of darkness 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to cover that only a few artifacts remain. But yet enough artifacts that we know what they believed. And the artifacts were going to be taken by Lionel Hutchins, who worked with Bureau 713. This is the opening <laughs> scroll. This is... The antithesis of show, don't tell.
0: Yeah, again, and it was only done because when they screened it for test audiences without it, everyone says, we don't understand. So they're like, all right, let's explain the entire movie
3: ahead of the movie.
2: Everything.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it even discusses the sleeper soldiers, lost souls awaiting the moment of their calling. I'm going to put it out there. I read this scroll, I paused the movie, I looked this scroll up online, I read it several times, and then I hit play. I still didn't follow the movie, I watched it twice in two days to try and get my fingers around, what the fuck is going on oh yeah the the difficulty in trying
0: abkani are briefly mentioned in alone in the dark four but there's no mythology here to explore it's not a part of the ongoing game storyline that we need to go here one wonders why they just didn't make it simpler and say there's an evil guy a scientist who's conducting unethical experiments on orphans because that's what they want to talk about
3: and why did he have to work with the bureau everybody's tied to this Bureau. I understand Bureau 713 is from the game. It's a game conceit. And in that 2001 game... There is some stuff about a scientist from there doing experiments. But that Carnby worked for 713. That Hutchins worked for 713. Not just Carnby worked for 713,
0: but we see in the beginning here, he's a 10-year-old child running from 713 because they're taking his orphan friends, dragging them to a gold mine, and putting parasites on their spine. But 10 years later, he's running it. He's running At the age of 20, he is running that Federal
3: Bureau of Investigation unit. I know (laughs) we're going to ask the question, why, a lot. Mm. And if I'm lucky, it won't come out like Nancy Kerrigan. Why? Uh, Yeah, uh, crowbar (laughs) to the ankle. But my first why, why... Is this Hutchins talking to a nun, telling her that they need to take the 20 orphans for the survival of the species. I guess not our species, but the Xeno species. The struggle I have with this movie is while it tells us in
0: print material, in the advertisements, and just the casting of Christian Slater, that Carnby is the main character... The truth of the matter is, it really is this professor's story, and it's underserved. I do not understand what is driving him. I understand that he believes that something about combining this ancient creature DNA with our own is going to unlock some kind of potential, but that is a storyline that is closest to being explored here, and even that is underdeveloped. I don't know what this professor wants with these kids who... Are they lost? They're telling the authorities, I don't know how you keep running, but this orphanage will be open in the present day. And 22 years ago, all 20 of their orphans went missing. Oops. Then later we'll find out that they aren't missing. They're just sleeper cells waiting to be triggered.
3: That's what I'm trying to figure out, is he's telling the nun, we have to do this for the survival of the species. Like, it's very Spock. The needs of the many outweigh the need of the few. So we're going to, what, sacrifice 20 kids? And then they're like, oh no, one has run away. We only have 19. Yeah, so here's your cover story. Tell them there was a power
0: outage and all the kids ran away. What's the first place you're going to look? The power generator, which
3: is where the goddamn Christian Slater boy is hiding. I think he did cause a power outage. We never see him get electrocuted, but I think that in the power generator he was hiding in, he caused a power outage, which is why it was their cover story. But then we see the nun telling the police that all 20 children disappeared. So I'm taking it as this Hutchins sacrificed them to some Cthulhu god... But then they're all fine as adults. They're like, they're in the workforce. What did they tell the cops? They came
0: back. They tell us that the orphans had amnesia about what happened. And yet they seem to remember this nun and go back to visit her and continue on their lives and remain friends, even though they don't know that this happened to them. Yes, we can agree that this prologue sets the entire tone for how crazy and bazy
2: the rest of this Alone in the Dark movie is. It is absolutely nonsensical. Well, with the entire wall of text at the beginning, they kind of skip over explaining this. But if they're going to start this movie with a flashback to these children at least take that as far as showing us the children return. So we have some sort of connection to these characters that we're supposed to feel for as the movie progresses. Yeah.
0: yeah. They're orphans. It's not like their parents are wanting to know when they're coming home. You can go do whatever to them. They don't have to go missing. They can stay in the orphanage. And then, yeah, eventually they go into foster homes and grow up and be a normal, productive adults that are going to unleash your secret monster plan once it's hatched. Can we just look at this movie through the view? of Hudgens, because I don't think it will help us at all to look at it through the vantage point of Christian Slater. Hudgens' plot 22 years later, we see him on a boat conducting a deep sea dive somewhere, I don't think we know exactly where, but somewhere I think off the coast of South America he knows that there is a gold covered casket with Abkani something inside called an Erebus. That Sound like your recollection of what you saw?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Other than Anubis or whatever you're calling (laughs) it, I don't remember the name. But yeah, I love that they bring up this entire chest made of gold and give us this little speech of we forget why we value gold to begin with, which is really true. There is absolutely no reason for gold and diamonds to be valuable and aluminum and (laughs) Steel to be pretty cheap by comparison other than look shiny, me human like, but (laughs) they talk about that. And did you guys notice the ship captain? (laughs) I noticed that, yes, he he looked ready for a Long John Silver's commercial.
2: <laughs> yeah, like some sort of pro wrestler or something.
3: He had a very memorable bit part in Elf as the mailroom worker who gets Will Ferrell drunk and talks about, I got to get out of the circle or I got to get into the circle. Just this bit part. I'm like, this guy looks really familiar. I had to look him up, but he is the drunk mailroom guy
2: from Elf. I've <laughs> never seen it. Here's what's confusing to me about this scene is... I'm still not sure what is going on with Hudgens. Is he actually somebody to be trusted? Is he plotting this stuff? Is he the one who's ultimately behind everything? And we see them bring up this gold casket. And the guy you're talking about, Arnie the Elf guy, realizes the casket's gold. So they decide they're going to take that and kill the professor. The professor runs off. Well, he's locked in a room. Yeah, he gets locked in a room. That's right. And... He's begging them not to open it up. Does he know there's something in there? And if so, what is in there that is killing them?
0: I think it's the Erebus.
2: I think it's the first of these Xeno creatures, although
0: we'll find out that they're all over rural America. So I don't know what makes this creature different from any other one we see.
3: Where does it go? Why does it kill everyone but not open a door? Every single crewman is on deck, (laughs) except for Hudgens, who's below deck. And so everybody dies how does the boat dock
0: (laughs) yeah and again it was lined with gold where something about the fact that they're using gold mines was the Abkhani doing this to the xenos back in the day is a gold the way of putting this monster into servitude or nulling its powers is it a way of fighting the creature to get gold in it I'm trying to build a mythology here, but again, these wide questions do not lead to definitive answers.
3: What they do say is the Abkhani believed gold had the power to contain evil spirits. So as long as that was closed, the spirit was trapped. Yeah. But he doesn't even want this Erebus. He wants
0: inside of it like a Cracker Jack toy. There's like this tiny little rose bud thing. And if you collect them all, you put it together it forms some doodad that's we're said it looks like a key. It don't look like a key to me, but it will be a key to open a locked door into a world of more Erebus Xeno creatures.
3: And Hutchins knows exactly where this hidden lever is. He doesn't have to search or nothing. He reaches right into this never been opened before crate, pulls the secret lever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did some very good documentation on this, but it's, it's also the thing that activates the device that Christian Slater's Carnaby has. Which sets off the orphan children now grown up into heading off wherever they are. They just start walking away from whatever they're doing. One guy, who we find out later, actually knows Carnaby pretty well, just gets up out of bed and walks away. One lady's doing dishes and walks out her front door with the water running. There's another guy working at a video store.
3: Oh, the American Dream. Who hasn't just thought about being at work or doing the dishes and just being like, Fuck it, I'm leaving. (laughs) Or how many people have watched this movie and thought about just saying, fuck it, I'm leaving.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you'll feel very alone in the dark if you see it in a movie theater, because most people will not sit and take something like this. So this was a part of the professor's plan then, that he wanted to find this device to kick off the sleeper cell activation. Let's talk about his relationship with specifically Edward Carnby, because he takes out a flip phone and calls up his personal assassin, James Pinkerton, and says, take Edward Carnby out because Christian Slater is... Riding back from a different part of South America to the city he lives in. I think it was shot in Vancouver. I don't know if this is supposed to be Vancouver. It's supposed to be L.A. It is?
2: Yeah, I think there's a placard at some point that tells us we're in L.A. Oh, okay. It's
0: definitely not L.A. Looks nothing like (laughs) L.A., but we'll call it that. If that's what it is, we have to kill Christian Slater's orphan specifically because he
3: was never turned into a sleeper. No, it's just because he has the piece. They want the piece, and he's also investigating the Abkhani. Listen, this guy's just the Nexus, okay? He's investigating the Abkani. he has the last piece of the puzzle, and... He's Bureau 713's best person ever, and so he is also a threat. So let's just kill him, mug him, take the piece we need, and write him off.
2: And he's potentially sensitive to this, too, because when the piece starts calling out, he has a migraine and falls down.
0: I feel like you don't have to like go to the gun right away. Like, couldn't you call the guy and make him an offer? It's not like Christian Slater is above doing things for money. No, he did this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get the sense that his character is, yeah, a a gumshoe for hire. If he's anything like the video game character, that all of his work is just to get paid, hence why he lives in an abandoned bank with just a, a couple artifacts lying around in a bed on the floor that he only sleeps on part of the time. I just don't know why you have to send a hitman to collect an artifact he'd probably hand over
3: for a couple grand. I doubt that if he went to South America to get it and he knows... There's something up here. We got to believe, the movie never tells us, but we just have to believe Carnby's a good guy. He is on the side of the light. And that's why he's a paranormal investigator. And it's because he has the symbiote inside of him that he is so drawn to this vocation.
0: And again, we didn't see it, but the prologue told us that the orphans had an experiment, that experiment we're going to later have semi-confirmed meant putting worms in their mouth and having the worms latch on their spine. If he ran away before they got him, why does he have the creature in his spine?
2: Ugh.
3: I'm Okay, that's fine. <laughs>
0: Don't hurt yourself, <laughs>
3: really. It's the strain. I see the look on your face. It's not worth it. I'm just thinking Paramount Pictures should sue, because didn't Khan do this
2: originally? Yeah, I was about to say, because everything in this movie is just one notch off of a trope we've seen in other movies before. Yeah. Like, we have, somebody saw a movie where it's like, yeah, instead of being a company man working for the feds, I'm going to be a cool private dick. So we're going to have a cool private paranormal investigator working with the 713 crew that, you know, that's, you want to stay away from those guys. Those guys are company men. It's it's like the guys who made this have seen other real movies and didn't quite grasp what they were watching.
0: Yeah, I think what you're saying is we have the X-Files here in the 713, but this guy is one step removed from the X-Files. He used to run the X-Files back when he was 20, and then when they couldn't produce enough answers for him, he decided to go off on his own and, yeah, collect relics or something. So, for whatever reason, he's dangerous. You put a hit on him. And we have this very bizarre attack sequence in which the hitman, seemingly under some magical spell, running through windows. R- rather than use doors, it's like <laughs> kicking down doors and jumping through windows and jumping off bridges and taking bullets to do
3: whatever he can to get at Carnby. And what is said is this guy... And one other were 713 agents back when Hutchins was doing these experiments. So in addition to 19 orphans and one failed experiment, he also took two 713 agents and made them his slaves back then. So he's had these guys working for him for 20 some odd years.
0: Okay, so he's an next agent who, again, he's a sleeper cell. It's not like he's hiring this assassin. He just activates this assassin. And this assassin, I love it. Like, he, he's behind Christian Slater's cab and drives it off the road. And Christian Slater, he jumps <laughs> out of the cab and then, but he orders the cabbie to stay put. He's like, you stay in there while the car hits it. I'm like, i yeah, you did. Yeah, duck. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say myself, he's like the opposite of a hero established in this movie.
3: I thought the cabby would be dead for sure, but we do get to see him kind of groaning and moving.
0: And I love that cabbie. he's an actor I have really enjoyed in little bits, in, in terrible films. He was in, God help us, Leprechaun Origins, and that Terry Gilliam movie, Tideland, and Freddy vs. Jason. He could do a lot more here. He should actually have the starring role. He'd be a lot more fun than Christian Slater is in this part. Christian Slater said he did this movie because he like the quote-unquote
3: complexity of the script. It is complex. We can't figure it out. We need a PhD in literature to understand this shit. It is true. (laughs) The complexity
0: of the script mixed with the fact that he is a green belt in karate and wanted to show off his skills. Hence why we cut to these amazing acrobatics of people that look kind of like Christian Slater doing flip kicks (laughs) and what have you. He is very
3: proud of his green belt with a brown stripe (laughs) that he He did some of these, but nothing in the world makes me think Christian Slater can give this kung fu kick that throws a guy several yards through the air and through a window. (laughs) And
0: here's the thing. I know
3: there was an original screenwriter. Long before Mr. Boole
0: came on board, there was someone else that had written a script that was much closer to the vibe you would have watching the game. It was just kind of noir. You know, maybe something more like Lord of Illusions. And it was just about creating that atmosphere. And Bull came in and said, I'm throwing all this away. We need an action film. People come to the movies to see big action. I don't think that's a bad instinct. I mean, I do think that that's kind of true. But you place action... In moments that matter. We have a scene that in the commentaries described it took them three months to set up this shot of a bullet time sequence in which we watch him fire a bullet it goes through a block of ice and past all these people and hits this zombie. For what effect? It doesn't kill the zombie. The zombie doesn't matter. There's nothing about this moment that feels epic. Why would you pick this moment to spend three months to demonstrate an action scene that produces no result? It's the
3: bullet that shows that guy is pretty unstoppable because it's so epic you'd think it would kill him. And second, this shot right here is so gorgeous. It is immediately moving this movie where it can never be an F. It can only be a D-minus. This movie has some nice visuals that were paid for for $10 million. That is more than I can say for some of the movies we've
2: reviewed. (laughs) (laughs) But they should have saved that for the kill shot. Because they've already established that he is somewhat unstoppable. And then the way that he does end up killing him is like flipping him off of (laughs) the dock onto a spear that goes through the same part that he was... He was just shot at. I didn't understand why he was dead at that point.
3: I'm glad Uwe told me in the commentary the difference. The only way you can kill these superhuman Manchurian candidates is by severing the symbiote in them. And so the bullet went into his shoulder. The bullet went into his stomach. But you had to basically do this Van Helsing heart piercing to kill him by taking out the symbiote.
0: They're not zombies. Zombies you shoot in the head. They're, yeah, symbiote creatures, which means you shoot them in the spine. Because he falls in a fish crate that had some kind of hook sticking out of it. Maybe it's an anchor. I don't know what it was. Again, why not spend three months showing us this shot? No, this is barely <laughs> featured, but yeah, it stabs him in the spine. And thus he's going to go off and Carnby's guy at the 713 that he still talks to is going to do an autopsy and prove that, hey, yeah, there's these worm-like things that are coiling around people in their innards and making them do stuff. Meanwhile, back to the real star of this movie, Professor Hudgens <laughs> is also having an exhibition at some Vancouver LA Museum of Abkhani art. So all of these artifacts that he's secretly stealing around the world, he is also displaying in cases. And in charge of all
3: these cases is Tara Reed? I think it's that security guard. That security guard is giving the delivery man a lecture on Abkhani culture <laughs> <and> the displays. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wow, do you even hire grad students to be your security here? That guy knows his shit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bull
0: was actually very complimentary about Tara Reid. But, you know, the one thing he will fight back and push back against all, all the online criticism about Alone in the Dark, except... For her. He will not defend Tara's performance. She was nominated for a Razzie for this movie because it's absolutely absurd to think of this starlet as a scientist, archaeologist, museum curator who is proficient in all of these details about a 10,000 year old Native American culture. She is not going to pull it off here. It is her first action movie, and Bull says that she should probably, quote, stick to romantic
3: comedies. Yeah, that was harsh. I have never heard on a commentary a director rip apart his leading lady the way Uva Boll does to Tara Reid. If I was Tara Reid, maybe Tara Reid was an absolute nightmare on set. This was near... The peak of her fame? Maybe just on the start of the decline? I mean, the peak of her fame was American Pie, and that was four years ago. But she was too good to be much in American Pie 2, and way too good to do American Pie 3, so I have a soft spot in my heart for Tara Reid ever since I met her at a con, and she high-fived me and called me legit and just, like, made my day, so... (laughs) (laughs) You feel legitimized by Tara Reid? Well, she told me I was legit.
0: (laughs) I'll leave it at that. But I, I agree. I've never seen a director say, oh, my star was so great as he throws them under the bus and says maybe they should stick to
3: romantic comedies. She is better than Denise Richards' In The World Is Not Enough.
0: Yes. I, so. Yeah, I agree with that. She's not the worst starlet. I mean, yes, it's a dumb role, but, it, but in this, in the context of a very stupid movie, she's hardly the most
3: laughable thing about it. In fact, she's quite boring in this film. But at the American Pie reunion, I still think Mina Suvari got it worse with Day of the Dead. <laughs> yeah, I'll
0: back you on that. Razzie nominated though she might be, I think she <laughs> rightly lost to Jenny McCarthy. <laughs>
2: Sniff competition.
0: She deserves something better than this. Everyone here deserves something better than... I mean, she spends most of the movie cataloging artifacts at a computer and wearing those glasses. And we find out that, yes, Kristen Slater used to have a thing with her and has come back into her life. And they're there to witness that security guard getting killed.
3: And... If you get to see the hot love scene between the two of them, (laughs) you watch the unrated version. Oh, okay. But the unrated version still
0: doesn't have the black bra coming off. Because I know Mr. Boole was very angry that Tara Reid gives it away for free in paparazzi photos. You know, there's she was the one hanging out with all the other starlets, letting the wardrobe malfunction like Janet Jackson every time on the red carpet And she would do that for free to, you know, promote herself at a red carpet. But for this film, she absolutely
2: refused to do nudity. You know, every time you guys bring something up more about Tara Reid and her relationship with Uva Bowl, it sounds like he just wanted to get her in the sack and she turned him down.
0: Yes, doesn't it really do (laughs) sound like that? Exactly. That's exactly what I was feeling about this.
3: Or at least naked. Like, and he said agents and managers get involved like maybe he tried to you hear about that on set the director allows the no nudity clause but then goes it's so important for your character's development <laughs> yeah. and tries to pressure that maybe she just was like I've had enough of this German freak he's being a lech I've dealt with Harvey Weinstein manager agent get him away from me
0: this would not help her character to be nude in this way she is an object as much as any of these Connie artifacts she has no other role in this film she doesn't even even get to be badass she says she fired a gun i I saw her do one shot and it was again it was barely on camera she is not the focus she is not the star she is the trophy waiting for christian slater at the end of this film who again what is he doing at this time he's calling around even though despite his amnesia he still remembers the nun he's calling up old friends at 7 13 he's trying to understand if there is a connection between all of these orphans suddenly walking away from their lives and a 10,000-year-old Aztecian curse.
2: The movie does try to help us out a little bit here. Uh, he gets a call from one of his buddies from the orphanage, his wife, letting him know that her husband had walked out in the middle of the night. And so he goes and visits her and just has a really awkward exposition for a little bit. And I guess that's all just to show us that, yes, this is the same guy. These are the orphans. There's some connective tissue here that's at least attempting to fill us in on what we're seeing on screen here.
0: Yeah, and again, there's also shots of him getting in and out of VWs and product placement galore. That A lot of these shots were included because it was... To the financial benefit of this production that they be shown and not because they tell us anything new. I feel like all of his investigations, he's trying to play catch up with what we already know. And what I want to know is why Hudgens, well, first of all, how did he get this Erebus behind a iron door and why is he extracting its blood and injecting it into his own body? I'm still stumped at why he hired Tara Reed. But <laughs> and he I I love it. Like he's sending packages back to her and
3: then calling her up and chewing her out for opening them. I presume she's worked for him for a while. <laughs> she seems she seems to be the second in command of the exhibition.
0: I think she's the reason for the title. She's alone in the dark. She's the only one alone <laughs> in the
3: dark. She's sitting around <laughs> in the dark on a computer at a museum after hours. <laughs> but it made me wonder. If Hutchins had gotten possessed, when he starts chewing her out, don't you catalog my things? (laughs) (laughs) Like, she would know that. And she's acting like, well, why is he acting so strange? So I thought for sure he had a Zeno in him. But no, he's just a dick? I guess. Well, he's injecting Zeno blood. I mean, it's, I think... If I'm going to
0: extract from the, what's probably the coolest shot in the movie, at the end, he stands at the top of a hill and commands a swarm of xenos to descend upon a gold mine. I think that the more that he injects this blood, the more he is able to corral, wrangle, and manipulate the xeno creatures
3: into doing his will. Second best shot. I still like that bullet more.
2: Okay, (laughs) so he is changing then because I I took it the same way Arnie did Was why is he all of a sudden chewing this poor woman out
0: again because he sent the packages back in his own name he just wanted her to like stick them in a corner until he got back from his South American boat exploration yeah she had the audacity to actually open a box because like her job is to catalog the things (laughs) I don't know maybe put them out for the museum exhibition that's starting tomorrow that no one seems to care about <laughs> I and mean, even if they did, it's been totally wrecked because Steven Dorf and a SWAT team like came down <laughs> to investigate why the security guard got killed.
3: <laughs> that is one hell of a retaliation. Um <laughs> security guard got killed. We're going to bring people down through the ceiling. (laughs) Everybody's armed with an M16. Nobody likes to use doors in this
0: movie. I'm telling you, it's like they could have easily just walked through and created no mess. Nope, that's no fun in that.
2: This is the first time we actually get to see anything that may resemble what Stuart saw on the poster, Mm. which is somewhat of a H.R. Giger-inspired alien type of dog. Somewhat? In what way isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a cheap knockoff. It's somebody trying their best to knock off the aliens. Although Bull
0: claims that he didn't realize he was channeling aliens at all. He was like, oh, it didn't occur to me at the time.
3: I just am glad he explained to me that sometimes the Xenos can be invisible and sometimes they decide... To show off, I guess. They're I mean, sometimes they're shy and sometimes they're feeling exhibitionist. They're terror read demons.
2: <laughs> yeah, that made no sense. Like, everybody's firing at these things that are sometimes disappearing in mists of smoke and not necessarily fully manifesting. I'm not even sure what the threat is at this point.
0: If we're to believe this 713 unit and Stephen Dorf and his friend Fisher... These things that were already at large in the American rural population, if you went out to farm country, they're like coyotes tearing up the background, but they've never gone to populated areas. Not that this museum is very populated. This is the first time they've been in a city. Does that have anything to do with this professor unlocking the Erebus and getting that creature? It doesn't seem to be that he commanded them to come here, but maybe that was a thought in one of the screenwriters' minds. Hardly matters. <laughs> <laughs> and we do get the sex scene that you talked about, followed by another SWAT team raid, because all the orphans, I guess they were triggered to attack Carnby. Like their whole point for all these twenty-two years of laying in wait is to go kick the ass of Christian Slater when he's least expecting it, with his pants are down around his ankles.
3: And this is kind of interesting. It's a little bit too stylized in that it removes all sense of action. I never feel adrenalized, but it looks kind of cool. I think it would be better for a music video than a action movie.
0: You're talking about a 60-second what was described as a strodoscopic sequence. I don't know exactly what that means, but it was another big investment for the special effects company. Basically, they were bragging about the fact that the actors had to shoot against a black backdrop with no props or sets or any camera moves that they basically were just pantomiming. And then the video animators had to put it together in some kind of montage that. Well, I don't know. It looked like that to me, but I guess you might say that it looks stylized and cool.
2: Yeah, was this their attempt at Bullet Time, even though they already tried to rip off Bullet Time directly earlier?
0: There's a lot about this movie that The Matrix was still considered fresh, even though the sequels had come out, <laughs> and, and you could just see those touches around here. Christian Slater's coat—I think they were going for Neo with those buckles—but I'm like, it looks straight jacket to me. I don't, I don't think you're getting the coolness that you're trying for here. But in lots of details in costuming and yeah, the camera work and the special effects shots and. Just the color timing, the the look of the film definitely is matrix inspired.
3: And so this sequence is, I guess, a cheap homage to that. yeah, it just it struck me. It's like this looks different in they're trying something here. You know, I'm not gonna have that many compliments for Uva Bowl. Mm. but the fact that he attempted to do something we'd not seen before, the fact that he took the ten million and pumped it into stuff like this. I mean, maybe he should have pumped a little of it into some better actors, but maybe contracts were signed, but I give him props for the attempt. It's a noble failure, this shot.
0: Okay. And there are stuff on the cutting room floor. We, we spend a lot of time with, there's so many grunts here. There's like 12, 7, 13 agents milling about in the dark. And they set up some of them to have their own storylines. There's this Agent Chung, who's the bodyguard of Tara Reed, And we spend all of this time with her going up to the second level and finding four heat signatures. And then they... You say in the commentary, oh, we just decided the sequence didn't look right, so we cut the actual fighting. I'm like, well, then cut the whole thing. Like, Don't build up to a scene and then not give us the action. But there's a lot of needless frenzy, maybe to extend this movie to a running length that would be considered theatrical. But too many characters are coming in at this point, and all of the action is moving to the
3: climax. Suddenly, everyone's got to go to a gold mine. Which makes no sense to me. I could not follow on two viewings why it all ended. Ended in a gold mine. Is that just where the portal is?
0: All the orphans are dead,
3: and it was said in that opening scroll that a
0: gold mine is where they found the first Abkhani artifacts. So that might be where the very portal that opened the world of darkness into our world of light is.
2: Well, yeah, when we get there, we see that they've set up a lab directly outside of the portal there.
0: And if we spend too much time on these two grunts, Miles and Thienstra, like he's put in charge of the perimeter and we have all of this fumbling around with these two bozos. It's because they're the stars of House of the Dead, and Mr. Boole really liked them and wanted to give them another big part in his movie. He thought fans (laughs) of House of the Dead might enjoy seeing them again in this way.
2: (laughs) Very considerate of him.
3: I wondered why they had such a focus, but I knew they were dead. I mean, just the fact that these two people come out of nowhere and get so much screen time, it's almost like a vignette of death.
2: Yeah, it definitely felt like there was more... Like Stuart was saying about these people cut from earlier in the film, and we're just we're catching up here at the end with what they decided to leave in,
0: yeah, it feels like they realized if they cut all of the superfluous stuff out, it wouldn't be long enough to be ninety minutes, and so they just had to leave. Stuff that just does not push the plot forward. There is a plot. It has something to do with Hudgens wanting to get to this doorway. And he has that cool shot I mentioned where he's imitating the tall man and making all these creatures eat the perimeter guard so he can then go down into the mine. After Aileen and Burke and Christian Slater have all gone to the doorway, he's there behind them to cackle, I have the final piece to the artifact key, and I can now open the door to the home world of the Xenos.
3: And I just had to do a double take, because he opens the door, not unexpected in a horror movie that you're going to let the demons in, but that Stephen Dwarf gets the kill immediately by throwing a knife, that's how you're going to take out your big bad, is... A quick knife throw from this douchebag. I mean, he has been a dick this entire movie. As I take it, he used to work for Carnby and now he hates Carnby because Carnby left 713. He chewed out the scientist for talking to Carnby and he gets the big kill.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to have Christian Slater and Stephen Dorff in the same movie, because I think they're the same thing, if you know what I mean. They have the same star quality of kind of like a grumpy, irascible, older than their years quality. Maybe they don't like each other because they both probably could have been Carnby. You do one or the other, you don't
2: put both side by side. Yeah, I think they have the same hair plug doctor too, so they're constantly, <laughs> they're constantly in competition with one another in real life.
0: And I suppose we should mention the other fight sequence going on during all of this was, remember, Christian Slater's contact fish was the one that did the autopsy. The professor found the time to break into his home, feed him a worm so that he could blow the generator. I guess they just needed people to be alone in the dark. They just need to (laughs) literalize the title. See, this is now we're in the dark. It's the climax. This is why it's exciting and not that it's underlit and underfunded.
2: Yeah, he murders his wife, too, just in case there's any question up to this point whether or not Hudgens was a bad guy or not. I don't know. But,
0: you know, I'm always a sucker for a matte painting, and there is something a little cool about staring into this abyss and seeing these what looks like giant pillars... That are really nests that they're just full of like wasp nest kind of quality of all these little creatures. Again, it's very xenomorph. If you've seen any of the alien comics, they've explored the alien homeworld and it looks identical to this. <laughs> and you know, so they brought one of those comic book panels to life here for a few brief seconds, and then Steven Dorff decides to throw a bomb in.
3: And for some reason, the bomb's detonator is getting bad signal. It's like, can you blow me up now? And so he has to run back and sacrifice himself is it that he was such a big asshole that we just want him dead (laughs) yeah i mean it would be confusing to
0: have two guys and one girl at the end i you wouldn't know what to do with that
3: i I think it's funny i might know (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, yeah, certainly you could go that way, but it would be unexpected for this movie, I think. Uh, Just as them emerging from the ground at the orphanage is unexpected, considering those storm doors did not exist in any previous shot of the orphanage, but the aliens were under the orphanage all along. I guess that. Brings it all together. Ugh, sure. <laughs> I know there was an alternative ending that they decided not to use. And I know that Mr. Uva Boll is very angry that he used the quote-unquote poetic ending in this film, and it was received so poorly. Is it poetry? Or is it just confusing that all of mankind has now disappeared? <laughs> Both? Neither, I don't know. I thought it was just in this town though. Like Well, there's an intertitle that says Vancouver's been evacuated, but I think we're supposed to think that it's a rapture. Like the Abkhani disappeared from the globe because they opened this portal, and Christian Slater says as much in a uh, voiceover. So now humans are gone. The only two humans left, the future of the human race
3: is Tara Reed and Christian Slater. All right, that's not what I got from this. They go in and check on the nun. The nun didn't disappear. She killed herself out of guilt for the whole orphan thing. Yeah, 22 years too late. Yeah, why now? But I didn't take it that all humans were gone. I thought this was, I mean, the Abkhani got sucked into the portal, but it didn't take out. The Africans, you know, it didn't even take out the Pawnee Indians, you know, it just took out the Abkhani. I think humanity will survive beyond this Adam and Eve. Uh,
0: okay, well, some amount of retribution was taken in the population.
3: They couldn't afford the people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Perhaps they heard that Yuval was filming down the street and just fled. <laughs> <laughs> a
3: natural reaction, but
0: they ought to end with the stinger while the humans may be gone. The Xenos are not, and something is creeping
2: up on Slater and perhaps eating him. I mean, a threat I'm, I'm sure they'll pick up directly in part two, right? I can't believe there's a sequel.
0: I can't believe I have to watch it. I had seen this movie before. Arnie, you and I, for some reason, I cannot remember. I think because of my love of Alien and my hatred for House of the Dead. And my enjoyment of Christian Slater. Yes, it forced us to, one time when I was home from L.A., we sat down and watched this film and I swore I'd never do it again. I'm shocked that I had to do it for this podcast. I'm horrified that we have to go beyond and see a sequel.
3: And I'm just glad, though, that Uva cut out the scene he left in, which was going to be of Stephen Dorff rolling around and groaning so that he could
2: come back for the sequel too. They decided that was too unbelievable. Oh. (laughs) That's the line. Yeah. All these cut scenes, did I miss something? At one point, they made a pretty big deal of handing Carnby this... Magic glowy bullet. Does that ever come back? Does that ever get used? Is that ever a thing? All the bullets
3: they ever fire are that bullet. Because alone in the dark, the creature's exist in the dark. They say that sunlight could kill them, so they have these phosphorus bullets and super mag lights that will provide the things that can hurt them. Bullets themselves, if you just had uh, Glock, you wouldn't hurt them. It's the special bullets that do it.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you capture a, a ray of sunlight in a bullet, but yeah, that's what <laughs> we're
3: meant to believe.
2: So are all the soldiers firing throughout the finale here, The are they firing regular bullets that they're not having any effect? Because I mean, it feels like there's a half hour of them just shooting at these creatures and not killing a damn one. Must have been a cloudy day. <laughs> Solar-powered bullets. Who would have thought that didn't work? Best not to think too much on this.
3: So Justin Stewart, do you recommend
2: Alone in the Dark? Justin, this is my first foray into the work of uve Boll. i've never been to one of his movies before i've never had that gross infatuation with seeing what some of the anti-hype is and so I, I really didn't know what to expect i knew his ego kind of preceded him and what we get here is just kind of a disappointing sci-fi original type of movie you know and I'm, i mean i mean sci-fi channel you know like schlocky movies can be fun you know, the original Sharknado was kind of fun and then they did it to death. This doesn't have any of that. This isn't aware that it's a schlocky movie. It's trying to be a real big budget movie. And I think what frustrates me the most about it is there's just no consistency. There's no consistency in tone. There's no consistency in the soundtrack or the score. There's no consistency from scene to scene in the way it's shot or the style in the action. It's just little bits from here, little bits from there all thrown into a blender and let's see what comes out at the end. So it it wasn't even fun to watch. It was just confusing and ended up giving me a headache. So yeah, I'm glad to be out of Alone in the Dark for now, but we'll be back for part two, I guess, and see how that goes. So not recommend in case that wasn't clear. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for clarifying that. Stuart.
0: Yeah, I'm going to second Justin on that. This movie is not fun. One would think, if you're making one of the worst movies of all time, as this is often billed as, that you're going to be in for brown arrows and laughs, that this is the new Ed Wood here. But the thing you got to remember about Ed Wood is he had passion. He believed in what he was doing, and that's what makes it perverse, is that he was trying to make a statement about, you know, who knows what, cross-dressing or space aliens. But there was something behind it that was earnest, and it's that earnestness that makes them sweet and fun to watch. And here, this is a cash grab. I mean, I feel really dirty helping a rich man stay rich. By watching this awful film and him feeding everything from yeah, garbage CGI to Tara Reed into the grist mill. It's just gross to support a filmmaker this bad. Now, Bull will tell you, he's not the only person in the film business to ever take advantage of tax laws. And, you know, this is what being a film producer is. I get it that you cut corners, you do sneaky things. The Bourne films, he pointed out, did the same thing. They got these German tax breaks. So I guess that's the important distinction is that don't hate Bull because he's a con man. Hate him because he's a notoriously bad Storyteller that he could have made a Bourne film or anything with his 11 million and, and wound up with something this incoherent. It's just outrageous. I mean, he would like to write off all the hate online as just finicky gamers mad that he didn't stay true to the game they love playing. But truly, they're pissed to have spent so much time alone in the dark with someone that didn't want to play any game at all. This is incompetence on screen that we must adore again and again and again it's a strong not recommend and i predict it won't be
3: my last for mr uva Bowl. this movie's terrible and it's not even like you said funny terrible i wasn't able to have my glee in horrible performances the performances aren't good and dorf really does embarrass himself here a little bit but not in a funny way in a I just don't like you way.
0: And it's interesting you're focusing on
3: him above Tara Reed. Tara Reed was fine. She wasn't forced to spew jargon. The thing is, she claimed to be an anthropologist. She signed for some stuff and she opened some boxes, okay? <laughs> she did not ever go out of her depth. If she had tried to start reading hieroglyphs and then telling us about the Abkhani, i mm. might have a different viewpoint but here she was arm candy and she <laughs> yeah. was fine yeah she did look like a typical hollywood assistant just doing what their yelling boss
0: tells them to do <laughs>
3: <laughs> all i could think of with steven dorf is around this time do you guys of course you remember the show punked with ashton kutcher uh-huh. mm-hmm. there was one episode of punked where it, they always punked like these D list celebrities that you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember him. And it was around this time they punked Steven Dorff. Steven Dorff was out for dinner and having some guy go, oh my God, you're Steven Dorff. I love you, Steven Dorff. <laughs> and just being like, Steven Dorff must be suspicious <laughs> that something is up. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me this movie was the punked episode.
2: <laughs> That's what he was thinking the whole time. Oh, my God.
3: the pump thing was they left him with a huge bar bill and maybe this is what he signed on to do to pay off before he realized Mm. it was a joke but yeah this is just it's not incompetent there's Mm? the storytelling is incompetent but the filmmaking itself is not there are some cool visuals that extracted from the mess of a narrative would look cool, like Hudgens standing atop that hill. I mean, admittedly, it's a shot stolen from from Dusk Till Dawn and many other movies, but with the Zenos running past him, the bullet sequence, some of the car chase stuff, it wasn't abysmal, which I suppose I wish it were worse. I wish it were not good in any way so that I could maybe look at Brown Arrow, but as it is... This is just utterly terrible, and it's a really strong not recommend. I cannot envision a person who will find an ounce of enjoyment in this film.
0: I'm going to even predict that just by jettisoning Bull from the movie, the sequel will be better. Like, I know that Christian Slater doesn't come back, Tara Reid, Stephen Dorff. Nobody in this movie comes
3: back next week. That's the only thing I know about it. It'll probably be better for it. Paul doesn't direct the next one? Nope. I read on an Alone in the Dark wiki, he was directing both. So, all right, I have something to look forward to. Because mm. <laughs> I thought I was going to be bowled for two weeks in a row. Now my bowl is over with, and now I'm on to something else. Well, don't get too excited. It's the screenwriters of this movie that directed it. I think I'd rather have <laughs> Ebola than have to watch more of his work. <laughs> oh, keep it
0: up. You're funnier than the film. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait a full week to see if it does get better. That's my feeling. I know it's got to be better this Friday because while the kingdom may have fallen, Jurassic World is going to be a hell of a lot better than this shit. So Lost World is a
3: hell of a lot better than the <laughs> shit. And I hated that
0: movie. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a fan. And, you know, it's definitely a retrospective that has red and green arrows. But fingers crossed we're going to get another good one here this Friday. If you've donated for the Jurassic level, you will be able to join us. Or if you donated way back when, when
3: we covered the original Jurassic Park series, you're going to get that show this Friday. Yep, we always try to take care of our previous donors, so when you donate to us through PayPal
2: for a series, if they do more, we review them and you get them. I'm just excited Goldbloom's back, you know, after making the wrong choice a couple summers ago and going with Independence Day.
3: Ooh, yeah, I forgot about that film.
2: <laughs> How can you?
3: That's so bad. <laughs> it was not much worse than the original. Ooh, Alone in the Dark or Independence Day
2: Resurgence.
0: <laughs> Must we choose?
2: Merry fuck kill. Go. What
3: a Sophie's <laughs> choice this
0: is. Let's see. Well, Sophie's choice, you're trying to keep one out of the oven. I'd like stick them both in and turn it up on high. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Taster's choice. <laughs> but
3: yes, Jurassic World is Friday. Keep in mind, we're also, the week after that, our silver-level donation series wraps up with The First Purge. If you donate now, you can listen to all the Purge reviews before seeing First Purge in theaters next week, And plus the couple of Assault on 13 podcasts. All the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Stuart Justin, thank you for suffering with me so I wasn't alone in the dark. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It was a little (laughs) less lonely, but still as painful
0: as I thought it would be. Until next
3: week, game over.
1: Burn it. Burn it! Nothing must remain. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show.
2: Some doors are meant to stay shut.
1: Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast.
2: Once you make it down here alive,
1: you're already dead. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, Wing Commander, Mortal Kombat, and more. This signal's getting closer, we have to go. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. The answers I've been looking for my whole life could be on the other side of this thing. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing Now Playing. Now give it to me! Give it to me! Just give it to him. There's been enough killing today. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. It's your responsibility now. Just you. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. It's not about how. It's about how much. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Your grandfather sold you. And now she intends to come and collect. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website.
3: What price are you willing to pay, Carmine? What are you willing to pay?
1: If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. He's an idealist, they're the worst. I know, I was one once myself. If you want even more Now Playing Reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage.
2: Have you ever seen anything like this before?
1: You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Let's
2: get out of here. No, i got to get back there. i got to get closer to Luke, it. Look, you can hear them. Let's get the hell out of
1: here. Now Playing podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You must be very proud. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Let me look at you. You've been getting enough sleep. Now playing credits read by Brock. Give me one reason why well, I should ever even speak to you again. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. The list of people I trust is short. I don't want to make it any shorter. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You're putting us all in danger. No matter what you do, the witch will come for you. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved. Now you can either work with us or you'll end up a dead man. Now Playing is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You should know. Someone always has to die.
3: It's not going to be me!
0: The struggle I have with this movie is while it tells us in print material, in the advertisements, and just the casting of Christian Slater, that Carnby is the main character. (laughs) Remy is the main character. Exactly. One day I'll finish the thought. Give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) The truth of the matter is... I'm